Amen. Thanks, Ev. Good to see all of you this morning. Uh, yeah, thank you for your prayers, Ev. About 10 years ago, I injured my back at the beach, um, not doing anything cool, just big wave, took me out. And uh, I re-aggravated every once in a while. And so I was at the gym early this morning and re-aggravated it. So if I'm a little bent over this morning or if I get to the stool, my apologies. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll power through. Good to see you. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to reiterate that Evan just said, and uh, maybe a small correction, Evan, if that's all right, is if you are new and interested in getting into the table, which is that three-week lunch he talked about, I believe that starts next week. Uh, not in two. So uh, be sure to scan that QR code and uh, you can sign up. We'd love to buy you lunch and watch your kids and talk to you about who we are at Grace Hill Church and answer any and all questions um, that you might have. So hope to hope to see you there. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead, open that up to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. That's your fourth book in the New Testament. And we're going to go read that in just a few moments here. But as we get started, um, I, I think if I were to take a poll in this room and those watching online or really any church for that matter and just ask the question, hey, how many of you have at one point been disappointed by God? You know, you were hoping that God would come through on something, you were praying for something, and it didn't come through in the way that you were hoping or praying for, and you just, you felt disappointed. Or how many of you have been disappointed by the church or even hurt by the church? And either of those experiences, that disappointment that you might feel, did it cause you to question God altogether? Did it bring about doubts that are inside of you or maybe resurface doubts that have always been inside of you? And when you had that experience, all of a the sudden, they're right there before you. I think that's many people's experience. And for many of us, I think one of the reasons for this is because many of us, I know if I think about my experience, I grew up uh, in a family that went to church and we are very serious about our faith. And if you've had that kind of story, or maybe you've been a part of other churches or kind of faiths in the past, I'm, I think one of the things that we've been taught that is so indispensable and so crucial to our faith is certainty. Now, I think we can be certain about our faith, absolutely. But I think for many of us, we've been taught that you must have complete certainty if you are going to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I remember one of the pastors that I grew up listening to would always say, he'd give the gospel presentation, and he would always say that, do you trust in Jesus without a shadow of a doubt? And he would ask that question, without a shadow of a doubt, do you trust in him? And so many of us be like, yes, without a shadow of a doubt, I trust in Jesus. But one of the things I just want to say this morning, and we're going to talk about a little bit, is I think that's impossible. To have zero doubts. Can we follow Jesus? Can we believe in Jesus and be completely free of doubt? I, I don't think we can this side of heaven. But so many of us have been taught 
that the absence of doubt means that you have a strong faith. I want to talk about that this morning a little bit. Because I think what happens when we grow up thinking that is we have doubts, but we push them aside. We kind of suppress them down. And then we go about our faith, our prayers, our interactions with one another, and we ignore those doubts. And there's a word for that. The word is disintegrated, meaning that there's a part of me that says, here, I have a strong faith, I'm certain without a shadow of a doubt, but yet there is a part of me that does doubt and I'm ignoring it. And then here's what happens, is you get disappointed. Or the church lets you down. Or maybe God doesn't answer a prayer in the way that you were hoping that he would answer. And all of a sudden, those doubts come back and they raise their hand and go, see, we were right the whole time, weren't we? And now we have to deal with them. You know, uh, years and years ago now, uh, I had a really hard situation in a church happen. I was uh, not the lead pastor. I was one of the pastors on staff, and I had to bring up some things. I had to kind of be a whistleblower um, and bring up some things with leadership that were going on that were not okay, and that was a hard experience. I ended up having to resign. I lost my reputation. I lost a ton of friends. Everyone thought that what I was saying was not the right thing. It was just this awful, terrible experience. And it put me into this awful, dark place. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that place, I'm going, God, where, where are you? I thought I was standing up for truth. I thought I was doing the right thing. I had prayed about this. This was not a fast process why didn't you show up? And then I'm disappointed in the church. And I have this like call to ministry. I feel like the Lord has led me into ministry. And now I'm like, is this even worth it? And all of these doubts started to flood in. I was so disappointed. I was so disillusioned. God, are you there? What does it even mean to, what does it even look like to press forward in faith in the midst of all of these doubts that all of the sudden I'm allowing myself to voice? Here's what I want us to learn today. I'm going to give it to you right now as we jump into John 4. And that is this. If we walk in faith, even as we voice our doubts, God will earn our trust. Now, you might go, Alan, I think I have a problem with that statement. What do you mean, God earning our trust? I'm going to get there. We're going to talk through all of it. Hang with me on it. But this is what I want us to wrestle with today. If we walk in faith, even as we voice our doubts, God will earn our trust. And some of you I know wonder, can I trust God? Does he hear my prayers? Is he disappointed in me when I'm disappointed in him? What does it even mean to walk in faith in a season like that? As you know, we've been in a series, this is week three now, in the Gospel of John called Stories of Belief. We're just looking at seven different passages, seven different encounters and signs that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. And we're just asking the question, who is Jesus and what does it even look like to follow him? And we're in week three of that right now. And we're going to read from John chapter four, starting in verse 46. 
So if you have a Bible, you can go there. John 4, starting in verse 46. As we read this, I want you to count how many times you see the word believe. How many times do you see believe? I want you to take notice of it each time. Starting in verse 46, it says, So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. And he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, that his son was recovering, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. As we read about this encounter with the official and Jesus, there's a formula that I see in the text that I want each of us to pay attention to. When we ask the question, what does it look like to walk in faith even in the midst of our doubts? Here's a little formula I want us to pay attention to in the text. It's this, pray, believe, walk, believe. Pray, believe, walk, believe. Believe. Let's just, let's just break that down. Let's start with pray. So this official who came to Jesus, if we read the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record a similar incident with Jesus. And so we assume this is the same one that John is re uh, recording. Uh, but those, the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say that this is a Roman centurion that is coming to Jesus. This is the official and so that's who we assume that this is. This is someone who is a commander of many troops in the Roman army. Someone who's, who's very important and someone who would never approach in public a Jewish rabbi who was causing a ruckus, which that's what Jesus was doing. You have to understand, we're in Palestine now, right? And so you have the Roman occupation of this area. And so the Romans are in authority. The Jews don't like that. And the Romans largely allowed the Jews to continue to practice their religion as they wanted to, so as long as they kept the peace. And Jesus was causing some problems with that, right? The last one we just talked about was the ruckus that he caused over at the temple. This was last week when he got the bullwhip and cracked the whip and he cleared out the temple. These were the things that were starting to get Jesus on the radar of the Roman Empire. And so this centurion is not going to approach this Jewish rabbi publicly unless he was desperate. 
And we know that he approached him publicly. If you go to verse 48, he first asked Jesus, hey, you know, will you come down and heal my son? And if you go to verse 48, it says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, that you there is the second person plural pronoun, y'all. Okay, that's what that is. It's our only English equivalent, right? And so Jesus says, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. And so we know that Jesus is not just speaking to this official. He's speaking to many different people here. And so we know that this centurion, this official was desperate. He had a son. And compare this or contrast this to Nicodemus in John 3. We didn't preach on this, but just the chapter before here, Nicodemus was a Jewish teacher, a very high up Jewish rabbi, and he came to Jesus because he wanted to ask Jesus some questions, but he came to him at night when no one would see because he did not want to risk reputation. He did not want to risk career to be seen talking to Jesus. But you look at this official, he comes in broad daylight, seventh hour, about 2 p.m., and he comes to Jesus in front of a bunch of people because his son is about to die. And I want you to notice his firmness. I mean, he first goes to Jesus and says, hey, will you come down to heal my son? And Jesus says this kind of, almost dismisses him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. We'll get to that in a second. And notice his firmness. He goes, sir, come down and heal my son. He's desperate. He's pleading with this man that he has heard can heal. This man might be God himself. He is pleading with him. It's desperate prayer. What I want us to see here is God can not only, God doesn't only handle our desperate prayers. He doesn't just handle our doubts. He doesn't just handle our disappointment. He doesn't just handle when we're in a place and we are going to God and we just, we don't have time for religious decorum. We just need to pour our heart out before him. God doesn't just handle that. He desires it from us. That when we have doubts, when we have disappointment, when we're in that place of desperation, God longs for us to come and pray to him about that. You know, there's this one little spot in the Dominican Republic. Um, We have a partnership in the Dominican Republic. I have the privilege of being able to sit on the board of a school down there. And so I travel down there about three times a year. And years and years and years ago, after I resigned from that one church, and I was such in a dark place, I flew down to the Dominican to be with my friend because I just needed a friend to be with. And quite frankly, it was just great to get out of the country. And so I flew down there, and I remember we went to this one because where the school's located is on the north coast. So we're close to some of the beaches And there's this one little just secluded beach, not a public beach, just this kind of little spot that you can hike to in the woods on the coast. And I remember I hiked there and I just spent a day of prayer there. And it was just a day of pleading to God, yelling at God, uh, uh, expressing all of my doubts and frustrations and disappointments. And, And I really felt like that was a place where God just really and very kindly cared for me. And so that's become like this holy ground for me. I always, every time I go, I find at least a couple hours that I can hike to that one particular spot because it's just become a place where I have just learned that God is just so near. Not because of the place, but it's just 
become that for me because God desires for us to come pray to him in the midst of all that's going on inside of us. So pray. The next part of the formula is believe. Believe. So if you looked at verse 48 again, it says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, we already uh, mentioned that Jesus is addressing a crowd here, not just the official. And quite frankly, I think he's addressing us too. I think he's saying, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you you won't believe. And I think many of us think that. I think we all struggle with that. God, I need to see something. I I need you to show up in a way that's so undeniable that it's you for me to be able to believe or for me to be able to take a step of faith. I need to see something extraordinary. I need to see something supernatural, right? And, And we get convinced that faith is built on seeing I need to see something for my faith to actually be there and to be of substance. And so we pray desperately, God, I need to see something. Like, like, God, I need you to heal her now because she's near death. I need the healing to happen now. God, I I don't know if you're there. If you would just heal her, I I would know. God, I need you to come through. I can't make ends meet. I I need something to hit the bank account. Whatever it is, God, I need you to miraculously show up. But that's not how faith is built. One of the more fascinating scriptures that we see is in Matthew 28. After Jesus goes to the cross, he's raised from the dead. And he he gathers with his disciples right before his ascension. And these people had been following Jesus. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him heal. They've seen him calm the storm. They've seen him walk on water. And they saw him walk out of the grave. And in Matthew 28, right before the ascension, it says, and some doubted. They had seen literally it all. And yet, Seeing wasn't the thing that their faith could be built on. So if we go back to the text, the official comes to Jesus, right? Look at verse 50. Well, verse 49 says, you know, the official said to him again, sir, come down before my child dies. Verse 50, it says, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. But hold on one second. So the official goes to Jesus, asks for this. Jesus says, go, your son will live, and he believed. But verse 53, if you go to verse 53, he goes back to his son. We presume it's a day or two journey back to his son. He learns that his son is well, and that he began to Uh, get well at the very moment that Jesus said he would be well. And in verse 53, it says, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed. Now, my question is, what is the difference between the first believe and the second believe? It's the same Greek word. You can't go find out there. What's the difference between the believe that 
when Jesus said, go, your son will live, and the believe after he saw that it was actually true. Well, let's go to walk in our formula, and I think we'll be able to discern the difference between these two believes. The next part of the formula is walk. Pray, believe, walk. The first believe was enough for this official to walk home without Jesus. You have to remember, his request is he wanted Jesus to walk with him to his son so that Jesus could heal his son. And Jesus just said, go, your son will live. Now, this man knows authority dynamics, this centurion, right? He knows that he can authoritatively tell people, give orders to do things, and they do them without arguing. I long to experience that for my kids, right? He knows that. And so Jesus gave him an order, go. Your son will live. And it said that he believed. And so that was enough for him to turn around and walk back home. He had faith in the authority of Jesus, and so he went. And my question is, along that one or two-day journey home, did he have any doubts? Was this a, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, I'm claiming it right now, my son is alive, my son is no longer sick anymore. Was that the kind of belief that he had? I don't think that was the kind of belief that he had. On the way home, did he have doubts? Was he praying to God? Was he hoping? Was his heart pounding in his chest? Because he's just hoping maybe this man is able to do this, but I don't know. And he's just so longing to get there to see what actually happened. Yeah, I think he had some doubts. See, here's the difference between the two beliefs that I think we see. I think the first belief is faith. Enough faith for him to walk. And I think the second belief was trust. Now, faith and trust, they're essentially the same thing. But for our purposes today, I do want to look at just a couple of nuances between the two. Just a little bit. Faith and trust. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, that word assurance there could really be translated to realization or almost this idea of my faith means that I can live as if the thing that is hoped for is true, already true. But I think trust is a little different. Um, we've used this example before. It's a popular example of faith, a chair. I can say I believe that that chair will hold me up. I can I can. Uh, give you all of the engineering mechanics behind why. I really can't do that, but I'm sure someone could. As to why this will hold me up, we could talk about it. But I don't have faith in the chair until I sit in it. And I allow my body to be at risk of this chair collapsing. So now I have faith in the chair. All right, so, so that's, that's faith. Now, trust, here's where trust is a little different. Have you ever been in a hammock that snapped? Uh, I was on vacation one year, and yeah, I was in a hammock that snapped. 
and I bruised my tailbone really bad for a long time. And so the funny thing is that in my basement, we have, uh, my wife really wanted a hammock chair uh, to be put down there. So I got her that for uh, Mother's Day. And so I hung it up down in our basement and I bolted it into the joist of our ceiling. Now that thing is bolted in pretty good. It's not going to come down. All right. And so I will get in it. I have put my faith in this hammock, but I'm nervous every time because of my experience. Even to the point, my wife will laugh at me, where I will take couch cushions and put them under the hammock chair, and then I will sit in the hammock chair just in case it snaps, and I'm going to land on the couch cushions instead. So yes, there are times that I will put my faith in that hammock chair, but I have a hard time trusting it, that it's always going to come through. I think it's possible to hear from God And then to act on faith, to have faith that causes me to start to walk, start to believe, start to say, okay, God, I I, I have faith in you. I'm going to move forward on this, but still have some doubts. The difference between the two believes, I think, is one was there was faith to begin to walk, and the other one was trust. And when that man got home and saw that his child was alive, he built a trust in God right there. The second believe that said, when that man says it's going to happen, when that man says that he's for me, when that man says that my son will live, it's going to happen. But it doesn't mean that on his walk home, that probably was filled with doubt, he wasn't any less faithful. You know, I'll never forget when I was called into ministry. Uh, I was in college. Um, I was pursuing something completely different. At the time, I was working at the University of Maryland for their football team uh, in strength and conditioning. It's what I wanted to do with my life. I was so excited about it. I even had an offer to come and do an internship, a strength and conditioning internship with the then Washington Redskins. I was so excited. And then I had this experience where God called me into ministry. I can't really describe it to you. I just, I knew where I was when it happened. I talked to people and I just realized I I have to pivot everything. And so I remember I, I went home and I remember calling the strength and conditioning coach for the Washington Redskins and saying, hey, thanks for the offer. Uh, I'm not going to take it. Now, did I have like massive doubts? Yes. Was I like inside of me like, what are you doing? Of course. But there was a belief, there was a faith that allowed me to start to walk, to be obedient to what God was calling me to. And I'll tell you what, almost two decades later after that, I stand here. Has ministry been easy? Absolutely not. Have there been times where I wonder what my life would look like if I went that path? Of course. But God has proven his goodness and his sovereignty over my life. He's shown me the plan that he has for my life. And I can say here that that there I had faith to begin to walk, but here I have trust in God when he calls me to something. I'll never forget when my wife and I, we were just married for one year. I was like 23 years old. And we felt like the Lord was calling us to bring in her 15-year-old cousin to live with us because she needed a place to live. 
And we're thinking to ourselves, what, we're 22, 23 years old, and we're about to bring in a 15-year-old to live with us. We've only been married for a year. We had just moved to Texas. It was a brand new city for us. This is crazy. And we really felt like the Lord had called us into that. And so in faith, we took some steps and thinking to ourselves, this is insane. Are we really making the right decision? Of course we had doubts. But man, both my wife and I, if you sit down and you hear our story, you're gonna hear us tell you that that changed our lives for the rest of our life. That who we are today and what we do and what we're passionate about and everything that God has used us and will use us for in the future has been influenced by that one walking of faith. So yes, 15 years later, we've built some trust in God when he calls us to do something. even in the midst of doubts. Pray, believe. Have some faith in what God is calling us into. Have some faith in what God is allowing us to go through. Walk. What does it look like to walk in obedience in that? And then believe. Let God earn our trust. See, right here in our text, Jesus is giving a sign And that sign is that he himself has the power to reverse death. He himself has the ability to defeat death. That's the sign that he's giving to all of the people who witnessed this miracle. And so what we see here is that God has promised us eternal life. That God has a plan for our life. That that God has begun a work in us and he's going to be faithful to complete it as he promises. And will we doubt that? Will we doubt that Jesus has authority over death? Will we doubt if Jesus is going to finish the good work that he started in us? Will we doubt if he really has us and he's really good and that we're really gonna be with him for all of eternity. Yes, we're gonna doubt, but we can still walk in faith and let's watch God show up. There's a biblical basis for this. You could go to Genesis chapter 22. God goes to Abraham and his son Isaac. You know, the son that God promised to Abraham. The son that God said, hey, through this son, you're going to become a massive nation. And God goes to Abraham and he says, hey, I want you to take your son. I want you to climb this mountain. And I want you to sacrifice your only son to me. And Abraham walks up that mountain. Now, do you think he had some prayers? Do you think he felt doubts? Do you think he felt what in the world is happening? God, how could you be good and ask me to do this? But he began to walk in faith. He began to walk in faith. And what has happened at the end of the chapter, at the very end, right? God provides a ram to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. And at that moment, I guarantee you, Abraham had a greater trust in God. He walked in faith And he let God begin to build that trust. Go to Exodus chapter 14. This one's crazy. So this is right after the Exodus. So Moses is leading the Israelites. They just left Egypt. The Egyptian army is pursuing them. 
okay? And God says, I want you to go near the Red Sea and camp in this specific spot. And the thing about this specific spot is it was going to essentially close in the Israelites where you have a mountain on one side and you had a sea on the other side. And so they go there and literally the Egyptians go, wow, they're wandering around so much that they have all marched to a spot where we can literally box them in. I mean, from any natural account, it was suicide to do that. To be pushed up against the Red Sea and the mountain, and now the Egyptian army could come in and just box them in. And that was God's plan the whole time. So when God says to Moses, I want you to camp here, do you think Moses was like, ah, oh, God, a sea, mountain, army, that's a bad idea. Do you think he had any doubts? But Moses walked in faith. He led the Israelites to that very spot. And then what do we see God do? He splits the Red Sea. And he marches the Israelites right through them. And he closes the sea on the Egyptian army. And he rescues them from the pursuit of the Egyptians. And I promise you in that moment, Moses had a greater trust in God. Because as he walked in faith, he watched God show up. I know for many of us, like I said in the beginning, we're just in a spot. Maybe we are now. Maybe we have been in the past. All of us will definitely be in a similar place in the future, just in a place of disappointment with God. Or maybe it's disappointment in the church. God, why aren't you showing up? Why isn't my life going in the way that I think it ought to go? The question I want to ask in the midst of that, what does it look like to take that to the Lord in prayer? Not to push it aside, not to, to suppress the doubts, but to take that to the Lord in prayer. Believe that he is for us and begin to walk in faith to let God show up and earn our trust. If we walk in faith, even as we voice our doubts, God will earn our trust. Now, here's the thing what I mean. God's not morally obligated to earn our trust. So when I say that, I'm not trying to say that, oh, God lost it and he needs to earn it back. It's not what I'm saying, right? It's not like a relationship, like if I were to be unfaithful to my wife and break her trust, I would be morally obligated to earn her trust back. That's not what the situation is here, right? God's not morally obligated to earn our trust back. But you know what? He's willing to. I just want you to hear that this morning. God didn't do a thing to lose your trust or mine. We're the ones that walked away from his way and his word. We're the ones that sinned against him. He's not obligated, but he's willing to. And if you're disappointed in him, if you're having a hard time believing, I just want you to know he's willing. He sent his son, Jesus, to go to the cross to repair your relationship with him. 
And he's willing to endure your doubts and your struggles in your life as you slowly learn that God is good, his way is good, his word is true, and you can trust him. That's a lifetime of following Jesus, learning to trust Jesus and to trust God, and he's willing to be patient with you and earn your trust. Like, listen to me, Grace. So that's grace. That's grace. That he's willing to endure. And he's willing to show up and earn you trust. I know some of you right now are in a spot where maybe you're in a big area of transition in your life right now. Transition of job, maybe life stage, Maybe things in your family are changing right now. Whatever it is, you're just in this kind of place of transition. Maybe you just moved. Maybe you're about to move, whatever it is. And you're just wondering, God, what are you up to? God, what does it look like to be faithful in this moment right now? Maybe some things have not happened that you were longing to happen, whatever it is. And my question for you is, have you taken the time to slow down, pray, and seek the Lord? God, what does it look like? to take a step in faith, even if I have doubts. I think about our students and our youth. It's really hard to live for Jesus in the midst of a world and a culture and maybe classmates where so many people don't live for Jesus. And maybe you're even scoffed at for believing, or maybe you're scoffed at because you live your life according to a worldview that other people don't live according to. And it can be so tempting to go the way of the world instead of to have faith in what Christ calls us to and take a step of faith in that direction. And will you have doubts? And will it be hard? Yes, of course it will. But I promise you, you're sitting in a room of people who've lived it. You're sitting in a room of people who have learned over time, struggling with Jesus, that you know what? If you take those steps of faith and you trust in him, he's going to continue to earn your trust and he's going to show up and it's going to be so much better. So much better than if you go the way of the world. Like if your marriage is struggling right now, and you're just so bitter and resentful and hurt by things that your spouse has done or said or not done or not said or whatever it is, wherever you're at in that moment. To take that to the Lord in prayer and go, God, what does it mean to, to step in faith right now? With doubts, with struggles, with all of it, with is this going to work? Is this the right thing? I don't know. But what does it look like just to, to step in faith right now? And to serve your spouse, love your spouse, go see that counselor. Do the thing that's humbling. Whatever it is, the, the steps of faith that you need to take, that everything in your body is saying, no, don't do that. But to trust the Lord and let him show up and earn your trust. Maybe it's that person that you long to know Jesus. And you've been wrestling on how to share Christ with them for so long. And it's scary. You don't want to hurt the relationship. You don't, you don't want things to get weird. What would it look like to step in faith? Do I have doubts? Yes. Am I scared? Yes. Am I struggling? Yes. 
but to take the step in faith and see if the Lord will show up and let him earn your trust, whatever it is. You know, maybe the Lord's been calling you to something, like open your home to those who don't have a home, or maybe to go to the mission field, or whatever it is. Maybe it's something that he's been calling you to, and you've, it's been on your heart, but there's so many doubts, and so many struggles, and so many, I don't know if that's a good idea, and I'm just wondering, have you slowed down to pray about that, and go, but what would it look like to step in faith in the midst of all of my doubts, just like this official did? let God show up. Pray, believe, walk, believe. In your bulletin, you notice you got some questions that we've been providing for this sermon series, and I know some of our community groups use those to discuss those at their groups. Some don't. But I really encourage you, whether you do it with other people or you do it by yourself, to work through those questions. But the thing that I honestly want to encourage you towards is go to your group and have a time, share your doubts and your fears. Share the areas where you go, I don't know if God's going to show up here. Because when we think about pray, believe, walk, believe, we got to help each other do that. That's so hard to do alone. And what we need to be at this church is a place that, you know what, in the midst of our doubts and in the midst of our struggles, we help each other go to the Lord in prayer and we help each other figure out what does it mean to take steps of faith and we cheer each other on and take those steps of faith together. You can't do that alone. And when the doubts continue to come and when the struggles continue to come, we're just there for each other. Keep going. We're not gonna leave you. God's not gonna leave you. Let's go. We're here with you. You know, I just wonder, like, I, I just, for some reason, the Lord has put marriage to strong on my heart right now. I don't know why, but, like, just wonder the marriage is in the room, and you're just in a spot. You've needed to talk to someone for years. And there's so many reasons not to. What will people think about me? What will my community group? Man, most people probably think we have a strong marriage. I don't think it's going to go well. I know, what, how could someone else help me? Uh, my spouse, they're not going to like that. They're not going to be on board with that. I mean, there's a million reasons to doubt. And so many of them feel legitimate. And I'm just wondering, what does it look like to share that with some people who love you and are not going to leave you and not going to judge you and not going to scoff at you and not going to talk about you behind your back and just say, I need some help and to begin to take some step in faith and let God earn your trust as we walk in faith. Just wondering, what is it in here? Let's share that with each other. Let's take steps of faith together. And let's watch our God be the miraculous God who has defeated death that he is. Let's pray. God, I just want to come before you right now and I just want to ask and plead that you, by your spirit, just even in this very moment, God, would you begin to lead and speak to people in their hearts right now about where you're calling them to take steps of faith. And God, I pray that you would calm their fears and their doubts. 
Like, God, if there's anyone in the room right now who's always had doubts or struggles, then they've never allowed themselves to voice those to you or pray to you about it or to talk to others about it. God, I pray even right now they would feel a different kind of invitation and safety to be able to do that. You're not a God that's going to leave us because of our doubts. And God, in that, I just pray that you would empower people by your spirit to start to take steps of faith. And in that, God, I pray that you would meet them. I pray that you would show them the incredible ways in which they can trust you. God, you're so good. We praise you that you are a God who defeated death. And yes, we're gonna taste death and we're gonna taste sin and sickness and all of those things in this life, but you are a God who's ultimately defeated death and has promised us eternal life where all of that is wiped away. And God, help us to trust you in that and to live with the assurance that that is true. In Christ's name, amen.